All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in Romans 15 and 16. We'll finish up the book tonight if you want to turn there in your Bibles and finish up what Paul has to say to us as uh, Gentile believers. And I'm excited to get into the epistles as he writes and fleshes out everything he shared here in Romans. Romans is kind of the overview, systematic understanding of our fellowship, of our fellowship with Jesus Christ. And uh, of course, these last few chapters he's been showing us, here's what I want you to do with all that doctrine and knowledge you have about what he's done for you. Now, here's what you do in response to that. And uh, of course, we finish that up tonight. And then in the letters, he's going to, to the Corinthians and you know, the Philippians and the Galatians and all these folks, he's going to build on all of these doctrines and show us, here's what it really looks like. Here's what, uh, here's what I want you to change, and here's what I, I, I like, and so on. And, um, keeping that in mind, um, you know, you hear a lot of different people not understand um, what it means to not judge somebody, or what does it mean to uh, live peaceably with all men, and and uh, all these verses that come up, which basically uh, absolves us of our responsibility to actually open our mouths and share or say something to somebody else, because uh, you struggle with that. Now, am I am I am I judging them? Is I, am I being too harsh? Uh, is it my job to tell them what they're not doing right and all? And and, uh, and you've got to figure that out in your mind and in your heart, what's right and what's wrong. Of course, you've got to look at Paul's letters. He wrote all that stuff. He wrote that you're not supposed to judge. He used to tell people, stop judging people with a judgmental tone. You know what I mean? Um, so we don't misunderstand what it means. We see what Paul does, and Paul does it the way it's supposed to look. This is what it looks like when you want to tell someone about their sin. Here's how you say it. Sometimes it's kind of blunt. Sometimes you actually say, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It's pretty bold to say to your buddy or to your, you know, relative or whatever. But in no way is it condemning. In no way is it judgmental. It's simply a love for that person. I don't want you to continue because if you continue, it's going to be harmful for you. And so, um, you know, it's glaring. It's right there. We're in the middle of the forest, so it's kind of hard to understand you're in the forest because you're looking at trees. But when you back up, you say, hey, wait a minute, everything Paul says here is legal. It's okay. It's prescribed. Um, and it's the way to do it. And so um, anyway, when we get into that, we'll appreciate that more, I think, if we understand um, it is our responsibility. We are not only the hands and feet of Christ, but we're also his witnesses with our mouth. And we need to share in this world um, um, what he says and, and what's right and what's wrong and, and to not be ashamed of those things. That's part of not being ashamed of the gospel. It's not just not being ashamed of Jesus, but it's not being ashamed of everything Jesus taught. Um, and we believe that. And so anyway, chapter 15 of Romans here, um, Paul uh, finishes up with the burdens or finishes up with the things that he plans. It's like a long goodbyes, 15 and 16. 16, the whole chapter is goodbyes with a list of names, basically, and a couple exhortations. But 15 is actually... Our last little bit from Paul that tells us, here's what I, here's what I want you to understand or believe, and, and last teaching, I guess, from Paul. It says, we then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. The word scruples, not a word you use a whole lot anymore. Um, I remember my mom and dad using it, but um, not anymore so much. And it's actually weakness, and so, but it, that sounds funny to say it that way. We bear with the weaknesses of the weak. So they change it to scruples. So, the, I don't know, a different word. I guess they thought that'd be better. Um, but you bear with the weaknesses. 
when it, when it speaks of that in, uh, in Galatians 6, when it talks about, um, when he writes to the Galatians, which we'll get to, he says, when you need to put up with, you need to bear one another's burdens. He's not talking, I mean, it, it is true that we do need to uh, come alongside of people and have empathy for them when they're in sorrow or when they're sick or when they're having a hard time. That, that's fine. But actually what he's talking about there is, is bearing their, the, the burden of being around them. Not to put too fine a point on it, um, but you need to bear with that. You need to put up with that. That's what it means, put up with. It's, it's just a better way to put it. We're going to bear with your burdens instead of I'm going to put up with you. It's Paul's polite way of saying, you know, I'm going to let the little things go. The small things don't matter. Um, it's Jesus. And um, personality conflicts all the time. Um, but developing yourself and your walk with Jesus in such a way that those personalities um, that conflict with yours don't bother you. It, it, you appreciate it, you know. Um, and, and, I, and I know I, I use this example a lot of like flowers, but it, it is. It's a lot like flowers. You know, you walk by any, anywhere. Uh, on the way here, we walked by the thistles, and I just love thistles. I love them. I know, I know you're supposed to, it's like, by law, you have to kill them, I think, in Missouri. You're obligated to see if this one kill it. Um, farmers are, are, is that true? Isn't that right? You are obligated. It's a noxious weed. Is that what they call it? And you're obligated to kill that thing with extreme prejudice. I love them. They're so purple. They're the purpliest flowers ever. And I love them. Just the tops. They're fuzzy, you know, and nice. You don't want to touch anything below, but I love those about them. Well, I wouldn't hug it. I can hear you in the, you're in the second row. But I love those. I just, they've always been stunning to me. They always catch my eye. I love them. I just like them. And fine, nobody else does. But then you look at the black-eyed Susans or you look at, uh, you know, a, a purple coneflower or, or any of the wildflowers that are out there, even the chickweed I used to love as a kid. I know, there's another noxious weed, kill the chickweed, little white Look like little trumpets just open up. There's a bazillion of them. They're so cool. As a kid, I learned to appreciate those things. I looked at those things and I saw how great they were. But um, <laughs> they're noxious to some. Not only obnoxious, but noxious. And some people feel the need to kill those things with extreme prejudice. And really, we're not called to that as Christians. God has designed each of us to have a certain shape, a certain flower, a certain way about us. Um, a certain way of expressing the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. And, and it's unique to you, you know. The gospel doesn't change. It's solid. All flowers look up. All flowers follow the sun. All that stuff is true. There's some basics to those things. They all have leaves. They all have root systems. They're all, um, I believe they're dicots. Uh, I don't think there are any monocots in those. And they all have certain things that are, uh, that tie them together, but unique. They're all different. Um, in the way they express those common attributes. And as Christians, we're the same way. You know, I get, um, when you come to a cornfield, you just, it's all it is. And there's something neat about that. Part of my OCD likes a good cornfield that's 12 foot tall and every one of them's the same and not a weed coming up in the bunch. It's like, I like that. That's nice. It's like a well-mown lawn. You know, it's pretty cool to look at. Um, what I'm getting at is, um, you, you put up with those things, and, and then when you can get past the putting up with, you can appreciate then. Instead of noticing the uniqueness and noticing the differences, you, you appreciate 
Um, you know, I'm not like that. I'm not tall, you know, like in that way with the gospel. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a chickweed. I kind of creep along the bottom and bloom whenever, you know, and uh, as opposed to another kind of flower that comes up. I know I'm, I'm really stretching this. Um, as I was studying for this, it kept coming up in my mind, all the books written about how to share the gospel. Um, this is the way, or this is how I do it, or join our seminar to teach and preach the gospel. And it's like, I'm not so sure that was ever prescribed by God. I think you all have the same elements of the gospel that you need to share, but how you share it and in what way you show it is unique to you, and it reaches different people in different ways. Um, it's still Jesus Christ and him crucified. No man comes to the Father but by him. Um, the Word of God is true and absolutely flawless and faultless. Those things are un- not negotiable, but how that comes out, to, to open up a book and say, da 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 page two, da 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 I'm not so sure. Um, when they would read the Word of God, someone would read it and people would hear. It was all oral. They would hear the gospel. They would hear the word of God. They would memorize it. And they would go share it in their own words the way they heard it. The truth had to be there, filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong, but there weren't a whole lot of people opening up rolls of scrolls. You know? They understood it in their heart. They believed it with their heart, filled with the Holy Spirit, and shared it. So, when God says, when Paul says, through, when God says through Paul, bear with one another's burdens when you put up with the scruples understand there's a benefit to that um, to look for the fruit the blessing of it not necessarily the problems with it now he does make a distinction between strong and weak that's important i don't want to get on my nice flower kick there and forget the fact that there are strong christians and there are weak christians um and we want to be strong Christians. And I think Paul wants everybody to be a strong Christian. I mean, who doesn't? Who wants to go through life being a weak Christian? But until that weak Christian becomes a strong Christian, they'll never have a chance to grow strength if we're not bearing with those weaknesses, putting up with those weaknesses. If we examine people as they come in the door, if we examine people as they come into our lives and say, you're a weak one, you need to get rid of this, that, and the other thing, you need to toughen up, chart pounding on them as soon as you meet them, I'm not sure they'd ever get a chance to grow. You know, you need to give people room. Remember, we're like kids. We start off as babies, as infants. We grow into toddlers. We begin to, well, we sit, and then we crawl, and then we walk, and then we run, and that's just how it is. And uh, it doesn't do any good to be mad at an infant for, for not crawling. They'll do it when it's time, so you put up with those things and you help them through those times. That's what Paul's getting at here. Bear with him. Remember, this is a message to the Romans. I will go a lot faster through the rest of the two chapters. Believe me, I just got to lay this groundwork. Um, Remember, this is written to the Gentile believers, and the subject matter so far has been about the, the Jews, the Jewish believers, and how, no, 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 don't misunderstand me, Gentiles. Just because you got saved doesn't mean the Jews aren't getting saved or that God's forgotten them or that God's passed them by and you've replaced them. No, no, no. They're saved just like you are. Um, that's who he's talking about, the weak. That's what he's been talking about last week when he talked about some people can't eat certain things. Don't make a deal out of it. If you run into a Jewish believer, Mr. Gentile, who's free, 
and doesn't know the law and has never followed the law, understand they're still working through that. They're tiptoeing out of these things. They're carefully eating ham. They're not so sure about it, you know? So don't get upset and say, you better start eating ham if you want to be strong, you know? It's okay that it doesn't matter whether they ever eat ham or not, you know? It doesn't matter if they ever are as strong as you in that area, but they they got a lot to offer you too. They have a lot of background they could teach you. And so anyway, now I can move a lot faster. Sorry about that. Bear with the scruples of the week and not to please ourselves. Don't worry about yourself. Don't worry about you being satisfied. Make sure the other person's taken care of. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. That's building up. Man, that's Bible. That's it. That's the end of the Bible study tonight, building each other up. There's enough of this world tearing us down. I mean, my goodness, the last thing we need is another person in our lives tearing us down. We've got that. We've got that down. You know, it's about the building up. If you want to be different, build people up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written. And if Christ didn't please himself, being king of the universe, what are we doing trying to please ourselves? Is what he's getting at. Um, but as it is written, the, rep- the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He put himself in between. He would put himself in between the, the, uh, the uh, adversary and, uh, and us or, and them when he was walking here on earth. He would place himself in between. When he would come down and they were arguing with his disciples about uh, you know, casting out these demons, how come your disciples can't do it? And they're like, we tried, you know, and he's like... Oh, you know, he kind of frustrated, but he steps in, in between. He takes the hit, he takes the heat. He does that for us. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. We're supposed to look at these things and learn um, and, and to hold on to these things and have hope. Everything that's written in the Old Testament, the reason we read it is so we can see that God is faithful. He says he's going to do something, then he does it. And then the people benefit or walk away from him. And then he says he's going to do something else. And he's faithful and he does it. And when you see that repeated over and over again, then when he tells you he's going to do something for you, you can be assured of it because of your past experience with him and from what you've read. These things are supposed to build us up and give us hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to see you all glorifying, not just the Hebrews on the right and the Gentiles on the left. I'd like to see you all doing it with one voice. Because the only thing you're divided over, he would say, is you guys don't eat ham, and you guys don't know you're not supposed to eat ham, and you've always eaten ham, and you guys don't. So, you know, so just don't eat, you know. Um, but worship God together. You should be able to do that because the kingdom of heaven is not about food or drink. That's what he shared with us last week. It has nothing to do with the things you're dividing over. It's about Jesus. And if you both love Jesus, well, then just do that, you know. Do the things you can do together is the idea. So, <laughs> you can almost see the church saying, whose turn is it to lead the potluck this week? You know, it's the Jews' turn. Oh, boy, better bring a lot of salad dressing, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> whose turn is it? To, it's the Gentiles' turn. Oh, boy, oy vey, you know, with the pack some fruits and nuts. Um, <laughs> just worship. 
Now may the God of patience and the God of comfort grant you to be like-minded. That's important. This is who he is. One of the descriptions of God here in verse 5 is that he is the God of patience. He is the God of comfort. That means he is the owner of those two things. Um, when, you, when you talk about hell, and, I'm, I, and it is a flame of fire, and it is burning everlasting, don't get me wrong, but it is also, I think this is more important, the absence of every attribute of God. Some of the attributes of God are this. He's patient and he's got comfort. So if you don't want to be around God, that is the source of patience and comfort. So you've removed the source of patience, comfort, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, joy. That's all gone when you remove God from the equation because he is that wellspring that brings forth those things to us. Then you have the absence of that. You have the opposite of that in your life. You have pain and suffering and tears, and sorrow. That's why there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a horrible, horrible existence without God. So, I'm, he is the God of patience. He is the God of comfort. And may he grant you to be like-minded toward one another. It's something you can pray for. God, help us to be like-minded. Help us to not be divided. Uh, like-minded toward one another, not against one another. According to Christ Jesus, that you may, with one mind... And one mouth, glorify the God of your Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. How did he receive you? That's how I receive others. That's all that needs to be said on that. How did Christ receive you? In what state were you in when Christ accepted you? That's how we accept others. Yes, he cleaned us up afterwards. Yes, he did a work in us. Yes, as was prayed before. May God's word work on us, and it will. But how did he receive us? How did he propose to us? And what state were we in, in our sin, when he asked us to be his bride, when he offered himself to us? What state were we in? That's how we receive each other. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. And there he is. He's putting that in the, in, the, in the chapter for us. So we understand. I'm talking about he's the God of the circumcised, and he's the God of the Gentiles also. He's both. One, to show that and confirm that everything he said in the past is true, all the promises are fulfilled, and also to the Gentiles, that they might read about his mercy. And it's also fulfilling of Scripture. And so he's going to name four. Four scriptures here in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus, the Messiah, being the God of the Gentiles. And the Jews were supposed to know this. The first one is 2 Samuel 22.50. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. The second one is going to be Deuteronomy 32.43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people together. We can rejoice together, not looking at one another funny, but with one voice rejoicing. The third one is Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. It's always been designed for the Gentiles to worship the God of the Hebrews. And again, Isaiah says, that's Isaiah 11.1, 1, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles... In him the Gentiles shall hope. Always been prophesied. Now, I don't know how often that was taught in synagogue. I don't know how often that was taught in their little tabernacles, you know, out there or in their uh, temple. 
Because those are uncomfortable scriptures, but they're still scripture. They're still God-breathed. And so the Jews should have always known the Gentiles were going to come on board. And the Gentiles should always know that the Jews have never been replaced because it says here you're going to praise them with his people, not instead of his people. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Um, So there's another one. He's not only the God of compassion or patience and comfort, he's also the God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an uncomfortable subject for a lot of people. The power of the Holy Spirit. I just want to say it over and over again. There is power by the Holy Spirit in your life. He comes into your life. The Holy Spirit has power. If you feel powerless, if you feel weak, if you feel defeated, you need the Holy Spirit to give you power. That is the source of power. I can't say it enough. You need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. And you need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I got him when I got saved. It's enough power for me. You need a whole lot more. Constantly, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not so that we can jump higher and do more cartwheels. There's nothing wrong with that. Praise the Lord as the Lord leads. But the power is for victory. The power is for effective ministry. The power is to witness the Holy Spirit gives you the right words. I was doing marriage counseling. We were talking about, um, and I do premarital counseling a lot, but it's one of the most important things for anybody in a marriage that say they're Christians is you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to meet the needs of your spouse because you don't know what they need. You can wonder, why is she not talking today? And you can ask her, How successful has that ever been? I'm not making fun of the ladies, but sometimes it's difficult to pull that out because they're not talking for a reason and they don't want to talk right now. And you asking them isn't going to be, oh, I'm glad you finally asked me. It usually isn't go like that. Usually it's a little harder to pull that out. And so guys, I'm going to give you some great advice here. Go pray. First of all, lift her up in prayer. Jesus, help my wife. Whatever I did... I'm kidding. It might be, though. That's a good way to start. Help me, God. What, a, what stupid thing did I do? That's the first prayer. Secondly is, God, help me understand my wife. Help me understand what she needs right now. I don't know what to say, and I don't know what she needs from me, but I know that you do because the heart of the father always knows the heart of the daughter. We'll always know the heart of the daughter. She doesn't have to say a word. He knows her heart. And when you ask him, Father, what is going on with your daughter? Help me to help her. Help me to be a blessing to her. And he'll show you. You may gently place your hands on the back of her shoulders or something like that. She may break down into weeping or sobbing and be like, oh, thanks, God. She just needed a touch. She didn't need my mouth or my tone or whatever it is, you know. Or whatever. It doesn't have to be that. I'm not saying you're all going to break down and weep when you put... I'm just saying... The Holy Spirit will show you what to do for her. And likewise, ladies, what does my husband need from me? What does he need from me right now? He's quiet. He seems troubled. He says it's not me. He says it's not anything I've done, but there's some, you, you know there's something wrong. Pray. Father, help me understand your son. Your son, your adopted son, You you know his heart. I need to know his heart, or at least I need to know how to minister to his heart. What can I do? And the Holy Spirit will show you, ladies, exactly what he needs. 
and you'll be able to minister to your husband. Ain't a book that can be written about that. The guys that write books about this stuff, God bless them, they're trying, but they just kind of lay it all out like a buffet. Here's all the things you could possibly do to make your marriage better. Good luck, you know, kind of thing. And that's the idea. I don't know if it's chapter 8 or chapter 2 I'm supposed to do tonight for her or for him. So they lay it out because they know, and that's all Scripture, and that's all great, and that's good, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not a formula. It's not something you can follow. You've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit in your marriage, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer to be able to make your marriage absolutely flourish like it's supposed to. That's why Paul says that. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If he knows, Paul knows, the entire church, Gentiles and Jews, together, filled with the Holy Spirit, believing on God, trusting in Jesus, it's going to be a great church. doesn't matter what the potluck looks like. That's going to be a great church. And it still works the same today. Verse 14, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God and that offering that the offering of the of the I'm sorry, and that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sacrificed by, uh, I'm sorry, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I had a tough time with that. Um, What he's saying is, I know you know this, basically. That's why he says, I'm reminding you. I know you know this. I know you could admonish one another in these things. I know you know this. I'm simply reminding you. And he says that a lot in his epistles. I'm just stirring this up. Because sometimes we forget. It's back there. It's in the back of our minds. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to be merciful, but sometimes it's nice to be reminded. Hey, don't forget to be merciful. Oh, that would have worked. Yeah, I should have done that. It's like in my card catalog. Those of you who remember what a card catalog is, it's clear in the back there. You know, 927 dashed or dot. Oh, the Dewey Decimal System. That's how it feels like sometimes for me, though, with God's Word. I got it. I've read it. I mean, my goodness, I've read this a lot. So it's all in there. It's just pulling it out, you know, and using it at the right time. That's wisdom. Not, this is knowledge. Being able to pull it out at the right time, that's wisdom. We need wisdom. And the Holy Spirit will give you power in that area. He'll pull out the right scripture. You hide it in your heart. You memorize it. You do your part. You get that knowledge in there, but then you trust the Holy Spirit to use his sword at the right time and in the right way. So, I know you all know this. I'm just, I know you could admonish. I'm, nevertheless, I'm just telling you the gospel because I'm called to minister to you, and I want you to be reminded of these things. And I want your, uh, might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to um, Illyricum, I think, I think, and believe me, in chapter 16, I'm going to struggle with the pronunciations. I just have to struggle through it with me. I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. 
And so I have made my, it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. In other words, I found ground that hadn't been tilled. I found some, some rough terrain, and I, like a pioneer, like a homesteader, went into some uncharted territory, meaning the souls of men, Never heard the gospel before, and boy, I started throwing rocks, and I started pulling out trees and roots and all that. It's a deal to get ground ready, you know, um, for planting, to get the to word of God to be planted in there, and so it would actually grow and function. There's a lot of soil prep you got to do, and that's what Paul's saying. I didn't go where someone else did all the prep, and I just went in behind them and sowed some seed. That's too easy. Paul was a pioneer. Paul was a homesteader. He'd go out where it's never been preached before and say, hey, Anybody here heard of Jesus? Who? Perfect. You're my next field, is the idea. And that's good, because he didn't want to build on another man's foundation. And that is difficult to do sometimes. It's hard to build another man's foundation. Um, I'm sure we've all had experience with that, where you've come in to share or teach a little bit of God's Word to somebody else who's already heard the gospel or has some doctrinal... We got a lot of that, you know. They come from other churches, and they've, got, they've, they've brought in some man stuff with it, traditions that aren't necessarily scriptural, but I've grown up that way, and it's hard to build on top of that. Some of that stuff you've got to kind of carefully tear down a little bit. You know, that foundation, that's of man. That's not of God. It's, it's not scriptural. I'm not trying to be mean, but if we build on top of that, we're relying on the steadfastness of a man doctrine, and that's not going to hold. So we need to get rid of that, and let's tear it down, and let's build on the real foundation of Jesus Christ. Let's start with bedrock and work our way up from there. It's kind of tough. So Paul would go, you know, you need to hear Jesus. And they'd hear Jesus, and there's this foundation, a lot easier to build, actually, um, on that uh, untouched soil. So, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. That would happen to Paul sometimes. I want to go there. And the Holy Spirit would forbid him, or things would come up, or circumstances. I mean, it could be Satan, or it could be the Holy Spirit forbidding him from going in different areas. And um, Paul would bang his head against it just enough times to say, okay, I think that's God. <laughs> I better not go there anymore. And that's, that's a good thing. He was hard-headed, um, but also wise enough to know, I think God's telling me not yet. You know? um, so don't feel bad when, you, when you're like that. <laughs> And your friends are saying, how many times are you going to hit your head against that wall? It ain't a door. <laughs> it's a wall. Okay. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are uh, their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So Paul says, I'd love to go see you, but I've got to go to Jerusalem first. The guys in Macedonia and Achaia gave me some money to give to those Jerusalem guys, those Jewish believers, because they're so blessed by having their Messiah. I'm going to bring them some money. So they got the spiritual blessing, but now we're going to minister to them physically, okay, with some, with some needs. Now, um, I just want to make a point. I just want you to see this. It happens a lot in the scriptures, but 
the money that's being brought from the saints is for the saints. It's for them. There are times when the Good Samaritan needs to pop up and take care of just the stranger on the side of the road, by all means. But for the most part in the New Testament, you see believers ministering to other believers. It's not, you don't see it very often that they just lay it out for everybody to take from them whatever they have. Anybody, believers, unbelievers. So I don't sound cold-hearted. So you're saying we're not supposed to minister to people that aren't? We're supposed to get their Christian card first before we give them any money? No. You go as the Lord leads you, but I'll tell you this from someone who has the church phone on them most of the time and gets the calls every Friday from three or four different people saying, I can't pay my electric bill. Uh, the electric company told me to call all the churches. Thank you, KCPNL. And maybe they'll be able to help. And my first question is, so your church doesn't have the money to help you? I don't go to church. Okay. And now I've got a, I'm at a crossroads. I've got a decision to make. Is this an opportunity to maybe show the love of Christ that they might come to know him? Could be. Could be. Or do I need to be careful that I don't want to have anything to do with the God of morals, with the God who's going to tell me about my sin, but I do want the blessing and benefit that he offers all of his believers. I want the benefit, but I don't want the conviction. I've got to pray. I've got to find out, God, what do you want me to do? And honestly, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. You've got to know. You've got to ask him. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here, you know, because honestly, there's five calls. that They all need 500 bucks. Uh, we can't do that. And so I honestly just say, God, I don't know. What do you want me to do? I throw up a quick prayer. Is this what you want me to do? Is this a moment? Is this truly someone on Friday night who happened to need their bill paid in the middle of the month? Or do they need money for something else? You know, what do you want me to do, God? So anyway, I pray. And you need to pray too. There's a lot of shysters out there, you know. Be careful. Um, if they take advantage of you, you can rest assured that it's not your fault and you're not liable. And God honored your faith and God saw your heart on the matter. So don't worry about, you know, but someone who's been put in charge of God's ministry here um, and I got to be careful with that stuff. And so I want you to notice this. He is bringing a gift from other churches for the church in Jerusalem. Just wanted to make a note of that. This is for them. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. And that, I, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So in other words, guys, pray for me. That's what Paul's prayer was, that I don't get cuffed again, that I don't, and he didn't care about the pain and the suffering. He just didn't want to be hindered. Paul hated being hindered. If there's one thing you can read in Paul's voice is he gets frustrated when he's behind bars and it doesn't stop him. Timothy, come over here. What do you want? What do you want? Passes the note. 
take this letter right through the bars. Take it over there. He's busy. I'm, if there, you can't stop my words. And he begins to write scrolls and letters. You take that to the Galatians. You take that to him. And he just goes. But he hated being behind bars. Unless God told him to. Remember when uh, Ty- Silas and he were singing praise songs in the middle of the jail and all the doors opened up? Well, Paul was free at that point. He could run out, but he doesn't. He stays there, and the jailer's about to kill himself. And he says, no, we're all here. All of you? Not just Paul and Silas, but every other guy that deserved to be in jail stayed in jail. I mean, that means Paul and Silas got them all saved in prison. The doors opened up, and they're all sitting there saying, I'd rather be here singing psalms to God than running for it for my freedom. You know? Okay. Paul doesn't like to be hindered. He does. So pray. Pray that, God, that nobody gets in the way of what God wants to do here. But Paul was smart enough and wise enough and filled with the Holy Spirit enough to recognize when it's God's will for him to be entered. He knew that. But nevertheless, he says, hey, pray, pray that I might be delivered from these guys in Judea who don't believe. The unbelievers want to keep me here. Um, so chapter 16, it's a very long goodbye. I commend, you, Phoebe, or commend to you Phoebe. Phoebe, our sister. Phoebe's the one carrying this letter. She's the one delivering this letter. Phoebe's the one handing it to him. She's a deaconess uh, in the church, is what this means, who is a servant. That's what the word servant in the Greek is deaconess. I don't know how to pronounce it, deaconose or whatever. I'll pretend. Of the church in Centuria. So that's who's bringing the letter to him. That you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. She's a helper. She's a deaconess. She comes along and says, I'll take that letter. Great, Phoebe. Run for it. Go for it. So make sure you take care of her. Make sure she gets back here. That's kind of what it means. That's what he meant before. I hope that I can visit with you for a while, but I also hope that you'll help me in my ministry as I go on. He's talking about financially. I hope you can get me to the next place. Okay? Um, Gaius is here in this, and you're going to see him in verse 23. Gaius is a guy spoken of in 3 John, okay? We can read that at a different time, but um, I think. We think it's the same guy. Anyway, Phoebe, greet her, you know, take care of her, receive her, um, and and assist her in any way because she's been such a blessing. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. These folks are awesome. I don't know anything about them except for, uh, there's mentioned a few times in the Scripture, It's a couple that had a tent-making job. That was their business. They made tents. And Paul at times, and he met him this way, um, he was a tent-maker by trade also, a rabbi and a a guy, you know, a Sanhedrin, part of the Sanhedrin, but he was a tent-maker. So he worked across the table from these folks or worked at their business or whatever, um, and they got saved and they got to know each other and all, and they'd been a blessing to him throughout his ministry. They had two houses um, in, in two different places, two different cities, and wherever those houses were, the church would meet. They were just those kind of folks. They weren't the ministers. They were just hosts. They just made sure, you know, the church had what they needed kind of thing. Total blessing. Total blessing. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Always met there, okay? Some people are called to that. Some people are called to a specific ministry. Some people are called just to help. 
that specific ministry. That's what they're, or other ministries. They're just called to be there, you know, and to be supporters, basically. Their ministry is to make sure other ministries are going well, you know, kind of thing. And that's kind of what Priscilla and Aquila, it looks like they had that. That was their ministry. Greet my beloved um, Epatnius. Epatnius. I, I want to put an F in there. I don't know why. Um, Epatnius. Anybody? Eponidas? Hey, that's really great. I'm just going to do that the rest of the night. Who is the first fruits of Achaia? I got that right, didn't I? Achaia? Um, to Christ. Um, he's like the first. It may, you know, uh, greet him. Say hi to him. Greet Mary. <laughs> Sorry, that's kind of a running gag in the New Testament. Which one? You know, uh, greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Adronicus. Good? Okay. Adronicus and Junia. I think those are both guy names. I'm not sure, though. Junia, I would think June, but I don't think so. I think it's like a, it's like a Greek male name or whatever. So anyway, greet these two guys. Uh, my countrymen, it says, and, and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. So these are apostles, um, possibly. Not just of note among the apostles, like all the apostles know who these two guys are, but actually may have been Greek apostles. Um, so, greet uh, Amplius, Amplius. Okay, no, no, nobody's contesting it. So, okay, my beloved in the Lord, greet Urbanus, Urbanus. Okay, our fellow worker in Christ and uh, Stachys or Stachys, Stachys. Okay, you're all ignorant like I am. May uh, my beloved. Um, it doesn't matter. You know what? These are brothers and sisters in the Lord, and he's just wanting to say hi to all of them. Now, you know what it's like when you start saying hi to somebody? Hey, tell so-and-so hi. You've got to name them all at that point. So that's what, kind of what Paul's going through here. He's got to name everybody now. Greet Apelles, or Pi, Api, yeah, approved in Christ. Um, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Okay. Aristobulus. Aristobulus, that would sound better, wasn't it? Yeah, Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, um, right? Herodian. My countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of hmm, Narcissus. <laughs> A little close to Narcissist, isn't it? Narcissus, uh, who are in the Lord. Uh, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Must be brothers and sisters. I don't know. Who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, Perseus, Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus. <laughs> That's a great name, right? Somebody needs to name their boy Rufus. That's a great name. What's your son's name? Rufus. Oh, he's going to thank you for that in grade school. Hey, Rufus. That's just a, you know, he's got to have a lot of hair and he's got to be really wide. <laughs> Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Um, in other, and I, here's the key. Um, I don't think he literally means his mother, but um, um, like he's my mother, but she was like a mother to him. That's my guess on that one. Um, um, oh, boy. Greet him. Who? Say it. Hey, say it with boldness if you're going to say it. There you go. And the next one? Okay, and the next one? Hermas? Yeah, Okay. <laughs> Greet these folks. Greet these beautiful saints and the brethren who are with them. Um, come on. 
Greet those two also, and Julia. I got that one. Julia, I could do that one. Uh, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, um, and all the saints who are, who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, the churches of Christ greet you. That's pretty tender there. That's pretty intimate to give each other a holy kiss. I think there's maybe a handful of people I've given a holy kiss to. Not on the lips, like my cousin. Cousin used to kiss us on the lips. That guy. His nickname was Bean. He was like a bean pole, so they called him Bean. And he, he was very, very much a minister to Israel. He would, spent most of his life ministering over there. I think he's back now raising China teaching or something. But very much a missionary. And when he would see this guy, here comes Cousin Bean and his wife Jane. Um, and he'd just come up to my dad and... Ah, John, <laughs> Bean, how are you, buddy? He was great. He was great. But he would greet literally with a holy kiss on the lips. Guys, no girls. Now, he wasn't that kind of, he would, just the guys, you know. But he was married with kids. Don't get me wrong. He was, what a great guy. But you know what? When he didn't, you didn't feel weird about it. You almost felt like, that was cool. That was kind of cool, you know. So I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> you first, Todd. Me and you, buddy. No. <laughs> uh, Got to start. Yeah. Got to start somewhere, I'm telling you. But, you know, you know, we laugh about that because culturally it's uncomfortable for us. But Paul wants it to be very clear. You know what? It's pretty hard to be mad at somebody. It's pretty hard to be divided when you do something like that. So you understand Paul's point here. Give each other a holy kiss. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Greet him in a holy kiss for me. Hey, Paul told me to do this. You know, <laughs> give him a holy kiss. Kind of hard to be divided. You know, it's awfully intimate. Imagine what Judas went through. That's how he greeted Jesus. He greeted Jesus with a, it was an unholy kiss. But he identified him with a kiss that way because um, that's how close Jesus, Judas was to Jesus, that he could do that under normal circumstances and Jesus wouldn't think anything of it. But Jesus knew that night it would be different. This is an identifying mark. He says, you betray me with a kiss, Judas. You know, How could you do that? That's about the most intimate thing. That's about the worst thing you could do, you know, kind of thing. Not the kiss, but the, the betrayal that would follow. And so Paul says here, greet each other with the holy kiss. That's pretty cool. So I get it, and I understand why he does it. And um, I'll give you a hearty handshake. How's that? You know. Now, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division. No, he's gonna, so say hi to everybody, but also I want to throw this last thing in here. Now, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. This is what I mean by one of those moments like, okay, I'm not going to judge my brother or my sister. No, wait a minute. I'm supposed to mark those who are dividing the body of Christ. I'm supposed to mark them, and I'm supposed to avoid them. You're supposed to, it's supposed to be uncomfortable to be dividing a church. You're supposed to feel uncomfortable as you sneak in and try to divide the church. You should feel awkward. You should feel like a wolf. You should feel like, how come I'm not a part of the crowd? Because you're divisive. And everybody knows it, and they're avoiding you because they know that you're dangerous. And Paul says, it's dangerous. Avoid them. I don't want you to be tainted by that. I don't want you to... You're not obligated 
Paul says. He's releasing them of their obligation to give them a holy kiss. And, but here's how you notice. That they're divisive and offenses contrary to the doctrine, the teaching which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. He saw it as a real threat. He knew that. When he has his final deal in Acts, with uh, his first pastor's conference in Acts, and he tells the guys, you know, when I'm gone, savage wolves are going to come from outside for sure and attack the flock, but you're also going to have wolves from inside that will attack the flock. And he's known that from the beginning. He's seen them sitting in the back row, kind of just waiting for their turn to whisper out by the water cooler in the bathroom or on your way out to the car some of the things that are contrary to what we're taught. You know, Avoid those divisive people. Make them feel uncomfortable. It's okay. They're not to be comfortable in their divisiveness. And they have smooth words and they're flattering speech. Now you've got to be one of the smart ones here, right? You're one of the smart ones. I'm just here to tell you. Because you're one of the smart ones, I'm going to tell you what was taught was just crazy. That was just crazy. Don't you think that was crazy? Yeah. You know, be careful. Be careful about those flattering words. Um, Satan loves to, the birds love to, that's, that's, that's the picture. As the sower goes out and scatters the seed, one of those, 25% of that seed gets taken away, the seed being the word of God, 25% of it gets taken away before it can even bear root by the birds. The birds come and devour it. They eat it up. And Jesus warned about that. And so Paul is just continuing what Christ has already shared. This is no new doctrine. This is no new idea. Watch out for those that try to steal the word of God out of your hearts before it can take root and bear fruit. Watch out for that and avoid. For, the, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. You don't need to delve into the latest and greatest evil out there so you can understand it and defeat it. You only have to know the truth. You just need to know the truth. When you study the scripture, the evil's glaring. How am I going to spot what's evil and what's of God? Read God's word. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's the power of the Holy Spirit and the sword of the Holy Spirit, and you'll be able to defeat and understand and identify every evil out there. So study that. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, get wise in what's good. You know, and be simple concerning the evil. Be ignorant is the word there. Be ignorant or innocent of what's evil. You don't have to partake in evil to understand it. Avoid it. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. I love that. I don't crush Satan under my feet. I don't get to stomp the devil. I'm a little concerned about that. When people say they're going to stomp the devil and they've been to stomp around. No, but God will. God will crush him. I'm not supposed to even talk to him. I'm not supposed to have a conversation with Satan. John tells us that, you know, steer clear. Uh, You let Jesus, you keep Jesus in between you and Satan all the time, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, I know that's not right, but it sounds funny. My countrymen greet you. These are the guys with him. And I... Tert, uh, Tertius, 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 
who wrote this epistle greets you in the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Who's this guy? Paul had an eye problem, remember? Some of the epistles he didn't write. Some of them he dictated, okay? And so this is the guy writing. And so at the end of the letter, he sneaks in his, hey, I'm the writer here. Paul's going to sign his own name, but I'm the writer here. And uh, I'm the guy transcribing it. I say hi too, you know, kind of thing. I like that. Um, Gaius, my host, and so you can almost see, can I, can I say something to him, Paul? Yeah, go ahead and say hi. I said hi. And now we're back to Paul again. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. I think this is the third John guy. So if you want to read about this guy's ministry, I'm going to make sure I'm right on this. Hold on a minute. We got time, right? Yeah. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray. Yeah, I think it's the same guy, I think. Um, But, you know, back in those days, there's a lot of guys named Gaius, a lot of guys named Yeshua, even Joshua. A lot of guys named Mary, or a lot of gals named Mary, and, and so on. Anyway, I think this is him. Gaius is the host. Gaius had the gift of giving. He had the gift of generosity. That's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Whatever was his was yours. He's just that kind of guy. I, I love that. And he would host. He'd, he'd host him, and I'll host the whole church. Yeah, come on over. He greets you. Erastus, uh, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother. Uh, <laughs> that's all he says about him. Uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It's the second time he said goodbye. Then he's still not done. Now to him who is able to establish you is a benediction. Okay. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. Whose gospel? I love that. My gospel. Is he taking the place of Christ? Of course not. He owns it. This is my good news, and I want it to be your good news. And the way I've shared it, you know, you have your gospel too. You know that? It's, it is Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, but, but it's, you know, you're supposed to own it. We, we used to joke around it, because every Calvary Chapel pastor listens to Pastor Chuck before they teach the chapter when you first start because you don't want to mess it up. You're concerned. You're worried. Like, uh. So you listen to Pastor Chuck teach. Like, okay, that's what I got when I studied too. Okay, good. I'm okay. And it kept you on the straight and narrow because you don't know what you're doing. Still don't. But you do that. And so Pastor Chuck, when we go out to his pastor, the big senior pastor's conference out in California, wherever he'd host it or whatever, he'd say, you got, I can't do his voice, but I used to be able to. You guys keep apologizing for saying Chuck said this, said, look, if God quickened it to your heart and you believe it and it's from the Holy Spirit, you own it. It's yours. Quit saying I said it, you know, kind of thing. Um, it's okay, you know. It's, if we agree, that's great. You know, um, it's all, it's all it's happening is agreeing. And so when Paul says this, you're going to be judged or established according to my gospel. It's, it's not, it's what he heard from Christ and it's his, he owns it. He doesn't have to say Jesus said, or Jesus's gospel, or we believe in the, the Jesus that Paul preaches. Remember those guys that got kicked out when they tried to cast out the demons um, and they couldn't because they didn't believe on Jesus. They believed in the Jesus that Paul t- taught Paul owns the gospel. You need to own the gospel. I need to own the gospel. It needs to be according to my gospel and your gospel. We need to own it. According to, uh, um, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone be wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. All right, let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for Paul's benediction there, his encouragement to us. And as he gives you glory and praise at the end of his teaching of just a phenomenal letter to the Romans, God, he gives you all the glory. And it's by the power of your Holy Spirit that he was able to write that. Lord, I pray that as we've learned it, we've received it, we've got that knowledge, we pray for wisdom now, God, that we might not only be able to understand our faith, through all those chapters where Paul taught us, here's why we believe what we believe, but then also the last few chapters where he tells us, now here's what we do in response to what we believe. Here's how it looks as we walk in Jesus, or as we walk according to the Scriptures, as we walk in the Spirit. We desire that, God. Um, To be like Christ, um, solid, doctrinally solid, God, but also living it out. Not just, um, you know, not just right, Um, not just accurate even, um, but we're actually, like Paul says, not only have I got it in my heart, but I'm also walking it, I'm doing it. We want that same heart. We want that same life, God. So God, help us to have that. As was prayed earlier, we pray that your word would work in our hearts, work in our lives, to purify us, to conform us into your image, Jesus, to understand what it means to bear with the scruples of the weak, um, to put up with while they're learning while they're growing, as Paul is putting up with the scruples of the weak in Romans, telling them that they're bathed, but they need to be chewing food by now, that we would understand those two scriptures together. We'll put up with it, but by no means does it not mean we can't admonish one another, encourage one another to grow and to move forward with you. Um, So God, give us that wisdom and that heart like you have. Um, We thank you for your word. Bless these guys as they go tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.